that song will continue to come back to you. Specifically, the line that says, my weapon is a melody. I wonder what that would look like for the church to lay down any other form of weapon and pick up a song, a new song, a melody. And when we were to go out and fight into the world, I believe the church is engaged in a fight ongoing right now. And as we fight in this world, we fight not with the weapons of this world, but with a melody. I know that's abstract. Sorry, Stu. I know you hate abstract stuff. I know that's a little abstract. But my deepest hope this morning for the sermon would be our imaginations would be sparked with the weapons of the kingdom as we engage in the battle and fight with our Lord. Well, we have been studying the temptation of Christ in the story of Luke's gospel for the last several weeks, kind of been bouncing back and forth when I've been present on Sundays and, and when we've had guest preachers and that sort of thing. Uh, but we're picking right back up, and for the next three weeks, we'll be finishing out this story. This is what we've been trying to figure out, is how, what lessons about prayer do we learn in this narrative? Now, if you're familiar with Bible study, The Temptations of Jesus, you'll know this story. If you're unfamiliar with Bible study, just the Cliff Notes version, Jesus is baptized. When he is baptized, a dove from, or the spirit in the form of a dove descends from the heavens following a voice from the heavens that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately Jesus is taken from the Jordan River, led into the desert or into the wilderness by the spirit there for 40 days does not eat, fast for 40 days, and at the end of 40 days, he is met by the adversary or the devil, in which tempts him with three temptations. What are they? I just all of a sudden forgot. Could you help me? What are they? Go, go ahead, Terry. What was it? Make these stones in the bread. That was the first one. What, according to which gospel you read, what was the second one? The kingdoms of this world, that's the one we're on this morning. Thank you, Justin. And the third one is what? Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, all, all ordained elders <laughs> responding this morning. Great. Yeah. Yeah, gold stars for everybody, okay? Yes. The, third, the first temptation is to turn stones into bread, which can be interpreted as an um, economic temptation. You know, you do not have to suffer. No one has to suffer. Everyone can eat. Everyone can be provided for. You turn these breads into stone and you become the economic king of the world. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is today's sermon. It's the kingdoms of this world can be yours. Now, there's just no way to get around this. I want everyone to take a big, deep, collective breath, okay? The very gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, is an extremely political gospel. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. 
The temptation this morning is a political temptation. Uh, Jesus did more than save our souls. He did. But he also was a word of truth in the midst of political realities. And so Luke knows this. And as you study Luke, you begin to find out that Luke is really well-versed with the politics of the day. I've been very careful in writing this sermon, but you may hate me at the end of it anyways, okay? There's just no way around it. Jesus is a word to the politics of the day. Jesus himself represents a certain kind of politics. Christianity is very political, okay? You all offended yet? Um, and then the last temptation is we get to stay in our lane next week when we talk about religion, the temptation for Jesus to be the religious center for the world, the first temptation, an economic savior, the second temptation, a political savior, and the third temptation, be a religious savior. And Jesus somehow resists all three of these, and somewhere in that we learn about prayer, and this morning it would be my hope that as we discuss the political temptation of Jesus, that we learn how to pray for Caesar, that we learn how to pray for our own Caesar. We learn how to participate as Christians politically in a political world. Here's the scripture. This is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. This is the second temptation. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all of this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please, if... You then will worship me. The kingdoms will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you have children, you're like me, you probably tell stories all the time with your children. If you're a child, which we all are. At some point in time, you've been engaged in the practice of storytelling, whether telling them or receiving them. And lately, Hadley and I have really been into stories. They usually start, what do stories usually start with? Once upon a time, and in our stories, it's always there's a king, a queen, a prince, a princess, castles, fairies, sometimes John the Baptist. It just depends on what she's learning. <laughs> Sometimes she just introduces them right in there. We make these stories up and we tell them to one another all the time. But there's a, there's a difference between the stories I tell and the stories Hadley tells. So I'll tell her some and then she'll tell me some. And the difference is in the names of the characters. Where I, where I might introduce the lead king as Brad... I love you, Brad. Hadley goes, Hadley goes with more extravagant names. So this week, uh, this week her names of choice were Bamboozlia 
Anastasia and Glamla Leah. She's really fascinated with Leah. Yeah, she just throws that on at the end of any name. Uh, clearly, I'm intimidated by my, my, my name game has a lot of room for improvement. Oh. oh, man, I'm boring. Not that Brad's a boring name. My brother-in-law's name is Brad. Uh, this morning, this morning in the spirit of storytelling, I'd actually like to tell you a story. However, you'll have to brace yourself because uh, the names in this story aren't nearly as good as Glam La Leah. Uh, this story, the story I want to tell you this morning is a story about a kingdom in chaos. And in the spirit of telling a story to Hadley, let me begin. Once upon a time, far below a mountain there was a kingdom. There was a kingdom in chaos. An evil governor ruled the kingdom with violence and fear, and he brought great threats against the people and challenged their traditions, their values, and their way of life. This evil governor made it very hard for the people to feel safe and peaceful. Everything in this kingdom below a mountain, everything felt in upheaval. Tension grew in the kingdom, spreading anxiety like wildfires, and the great traditions of culture and community, well, they were being blatantly disrespected. The sacred places of worship were now overran by secularism and paganism. The desperate people of this kingdom longed for dignity, tradition, and respect. They wondered to themselves how they might go about restoring peace in a place of complete unrest. Far above the kingdom, on the tippy top of a mountain stood Jesus. For 40 days he had remained in the deserted place without food, and I believe he could hear the hunger pains from his belly, and his sense of vulnerability grew with the heat of the desert. Joining Jesus on the tippy top of the mountain was his adversary, a powerful, an authoritative figure who deceitfully represented all things opposite to God's purposes. Jesus and the adversary on the tippy top of the mountain with the kingdoms far below, they were in negotiations about restoring this kingdom back to peace. They discussed a much-deserved uprising, a political revolution that would restore all that had been lost to chaos their discussion led them where these discussions always lead. What about the means? How do we get there? How might this prosperity of peace be reached? What will be the route which revival sweeps across the fallen kingdom? All the power and authority of the adversary could be possessed by Jesus to rule and reign over the kingdom below the mountain. Here was the deal. The young man, Jesus from Galilee only, had to go to work for the adversary. That was it. You work for me, I'll give you all of this. The promise of the adversary was to hand over all authority and power to Jesus, who, being a young man at the very beginning of his career, he's just a boy. He's just a boy from Galilee. Yeah, there's rumors about him being the Messiah. But man, he could prove it, couldn't he? It was an evil 
temptation, of course, and we can all see that on the surface. But to be honest with you, think about it. Jesus wouldn't have to wait. He could just make Israel faithful again. He would not have to wait. He could just do it. I wonder if he failed us. Maybe he should have done this. Yes, we know that it was an evil temptation, but the honest truth is it's disguised as a pretty dadgum good offer for the glory of this world, for the glory of this world and immediate relief of all the kingdom's issues. Jesus could exchange his sonship for a place in politics and do something about the ruins beneath. In that instant, in that moment in time, I like how Luke tells the story. Luke tells the story that in a moment in time, the adversary leads Jesus to the top of the mountain. You know what that word in Greek means? It means a point, an intersection, an actual dot in human history. Luke is telling a real story. I don't have time to get into it, but if we were to get into it and talk about what the politics of the kingdoms look like, at the real point in time in 24 CE, common era, you would see that everything was in upheaval, that the people were wanting a new king. The people were desperate for kingdom politics to get figured out. And in that moment in time, 24 CE, Jesus could trade in his baptism for a crown. And in a blink of time, Jesus could exchange eternal glory for earthly favor and rule the era at hand. So what would Jesus do? Be honest with yourself. Put yourselves in this story. What would you do? What would we do? This morning, I believe we find ourselves as people living in all sorts of kingdoms of decay, if I can be honest. The kingdoms of our politics, the kingdoms of our relationships, the kingdoms of personal expectations, the fear of our futures. And from the mountaintop, if we were to go to the mountaintop of our lives and look down upon them like a bird's eye view, to survey all of these different kingdoms from a high perch, I think what we would see would be various levels of decay. In one direction, we see the anxiety of national politics, the divisive language of racism, sexism, and nationalism, the broken promises of this kingdom. It feeds into our feeling the fierce urgency for someone to take control. Well, in another direction, we survey the relationships of our lives, the relationships like brother and sister, father, mother, husband, and wife, best friend, co-workers, boyfriend, girlfriend, all those relationships, right? And in many cases, the survey of these relationships, they reveal former kingdoms now blown to smithereens. Foundations of morality, loyalty, agreement, and passion lay destroyed by infidelity of one form or another. From the mountaintop, the high perch, where we look down amongst the kingdoms in which we live, we see all of our failures. 
the trepidation of our future. Examine the anxiety of a running clock blazing through infinite time. We must achieve greatness today in all the areas of our lives, and we must achieve greatness now, for time moves only in one direction, or so we think. The anxieties and pressures of the time for Jesus, I believe, was not all that different than the times and pressures I just listed that we can all agree we face one or another. Jesus, too, had a perspective from the mountaintop. He, too, was on a perch looking down on everything that was in ruins. Now, temptations are not temptations if they come to us as evil promises. We've already established that. Temptations always carry the appearance of good, and the adversary's promise of authority and glory appeared as great options for the people of the kingdom. So great that when Jesus came in a completely alternative way, they never recognized that he was actually king. However, the promises of the adversary was not the only promise to be considered. There was actually another promise that loomed in the back of Jesus' mind. This was the promise the adversary tried to conceal, but now could no longer hide. It kind of floated there in the background like a cloud. Something funny happened in that instant, as if Jesus was got lost in that moment in time and began to recall all that had ever been with him, a rush of memories, centuries-old promises of long ago welling up within him. His memory, I believe, danced with the promise of the psalmist like a course he couldn't take off his lips. Mountains will melt like wax, the psalmist says, before the authority of God. Do you think he quoted that scripture? I think he quoted that scripture. I think it was dancing in his mind on the perch of the mountaintop. This mountain will melt like wax before the authority of God. God alone is king forever. Recalling the days, if you've never heard me preach, I, I just get fired up. Let me do me. I'll let you be you. And, okay. just, I'm not yelling, I just get excited. Recalling the days leading up to the desert, I do believe. Jesus remembered his baptism, the dunking and raising in the Jordan, the sweet wash of river water over that Galilean body. And the voice, oh, the voice, the voice that enveloped him as beloved, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That, whew, that voice, that voice that came to him like a rush of mighty waters, that, that voice, that voice powerful enough to split the skies and cause the thunders to roll, that voice, that voice that speaks goodness over creation and calls dust into life, that voice, that voice that calls the wanderer home and provides bread for the hungry, I, that voice. I believe the young man up on the tippy top of the mountain being presented with the option to be king could trace the familiar voice in his head back to the beginning of time. And thus, listen to me, this is it. Thus denying the temptation to define the outcomes of the day by the perceived threat 
in the moment in time. I believe Jesus went back to a beginning time where there was no measurement except that of eternity and in eternal time. Matter was formed by the command of the voice and dust was set to motion at the speech of the word. Y'all, that's... Mm -hmm. The memories of Jesus got lost in beginner's time. They got lost in God's time. A clock not bound. Oh, this is, God, this is it. A clock not bound by finite rules, but as free as the expanding universe. So do not be afraid. Why are we afraid? Nothing has to be great again. It already is. Because God is king and no one else. In the recollection of his memory, Jesus had a flash of revelation. And all he could do to the tempter was move his mouth to the rhythm of promise and it came out of him, almost like it came from him. God is king. Worship God alone. That will come at a cost, you know. That will come at a cost. The story of the far below kingdom is a story about two types of time. It's a story about the finite and anxious time of our world but it is also the story of the fullness of time mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, which belongs to God's eternal promises. Now, the fullness of God, you have to understand, it does not run on the clock back there telling me it's time to wrap it up. Fullness of God does not run on a time that heads in one direction. And if you don't get your marriage fixed today, you're screwed. God's time does not work. On that clock. And if we don't fix the country today, there'll be no more Christians in America by 2024. God does not work on that time. Whew. Getting excited. The fullness of God runs on a different clock. So from the beginning of time to its very end, the fullness of God's eternal promises extend from heavenly thrones. Inverting earthly ones. Not by placing Christians in power, hang with me, but through something far more powerful and redemptive. Small, little, tiny, faithful acts of obedience. How does God's time transform the time of this world? Small, faithful, tiny acts of obedience. So Jesus resists the temptation to react to the threat of finite time. <coughs> From the foundation of Jesus' character, his identity as beloved son and son of God. With complete trust in the fullness of the father's time, he is free to obey. And here's what happens. Jesus says no to the options of coercive power. And yes to offering peaceful words to the storms of turbulent times saying, peace, be still. Jesus says no to the opportunity of defiant speech and revolutionary actions. 
Jesus' embrace instead was inclusive as he extended dinner invitations to those far away from the moral standards of the day. Jesus says no to the way of the sword. Jesus says no to cutting and hateful speech. Jesus says no to the use of weapons as violent means to solution. Jesus denied the threat of finite time by proclaiming his eternal life into the impossibility of circumstances by declaring, you know this story, into the grave of Lazarus, come forth. Through staying true to the fullness of his character, Jesus says yes to staking all of his life, not on finite time, but on the promise of God's redemption to complete reign over all creation in heaven and on earth. So there's good news for us this morning, friends. Through the Holy Spirit who has clothed us with the promise of old, who has restored our actions to faithful obedience, we no longer have to react to the anxious threats of finite time. Go ahead. Get on Facebook right now if you want. You're free. You don't have to react to that stuff. You're free. You're free from that. It's God's world, okay? Global warming is not going to kill it by 2050. It's God's world. You can be, that doesn't, that doesn't relieve us of the action that we need to take as responsible stewards in God's world. But what it does do is it relieves us from the fear of going from one church to the other church, begging the pastor to preach on something that might change the world because we're afraid the world's going to die. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to live like that. We're free from living from one anxiety-filled moment in time to the next. Where, where was I even at? I just want to tell you this. You don't have to believe it for it to be true. It's just true. We belong to the fullness of God's eternal promises, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we don't have to live in anxious threat. We can live with joy. We can go on singing in a time that looks like complete ruins, we can pick up the weapons of a course and sing them to the face of our enemies. Why? Because all of time belongs to God's infinite time. And it's a mystery, I tell you, and we don't have to understand it. God just has said, you are mine and I will never leave you. So we're free. We are free to obey we're free. We're free to say no to defiant and abusive speech. Even if we're on the other side of the political aisle, we're free. We don't have to call people by names. We don't have to do that. Even if we disagree, we're free to say yes to peaceful words, to merciful speech, and a graceful presence. We too. We too, because the power of the Spirit coursing through this church, we too have the power to resist revolutionary and violent action 
and to say yes to serving our neighbor and seeking nonviolent means of resolution. We too, we too have the power to stand up to those that use death as an ultimate threat. What is death to us? Jesus has won. What is death to us? We don't, have to, we don't have to go on worrying about all the things that CNN and Fox News tell us that we have to fix by 4.30 or the world's going to hell. No, it is not. We belong to God's fullness of time. We know that. So we don't have to act like that. In obedient freedom, we are able to offer ourselves to the broken kingdoms of this world as a redemptive an eternal option. So what I'm suggesting this morning is that we belong to the fullness of God's eternal promises and it will change the way that we take up much needed action in our world. We are free. We are free to live in the world, no matter where in the world, as God's free children, belonging to a third way, belonging to a whole new kingdom, serving our communities, getting involved in the love of others, and offering ourselves as a resource to the poor, to the marginalized, and to the broken. And why would we need good news to them? Because we would be the only ones telling the poor and the marginalized and the broken that there is hope. Hmm. Through transformed hearts, we can serve the other as Christ has served the church in patience and mercy, forgiveness, and complete hope in the fullness of God's time to restore all things. Oh, yeah. In the fullness of God's eternal promises, a new way has emerged thereby, liberating our imaginations. So I want to talk to you a minute about who you are. If you're a member of New Beginnings Church, you're like the Green Bay Packers. I'm, I'm really sad Matt stepped out on that. He would like that. You need to tell him. I talked about the Green Bay Packers. You know anything about the Green Bay Packers? The Green Bay Packers are owned by the city of Green Bay. If you live in Green Bay, you own the Green Bay Packers. That's pretty cool. We're just like that. If you are a member of New Beginnings Church, and I'm looking at lots of you that are, you own Chipman Commons. You are the landlords. You thought that was me? Nah. You thought that was Stu? I wish. He'd get us in shape. But it's not. No, we're, we're hired managers. I'm a, hire, I'm a hire. I hate that word, hired. I'm a called and elected pastor. Yes, I lead you. Yes, Stuart leads us. Stuart's leadership is phenomenal. Our properties board leadership is phenomenal. Our church board's leadership is faithful and true, and I'm proud of them. But it is not their responsibility alone. It's our responsibility. And so this morning, if you're new to New Beginnings, I want to tell you something really cool about our church. When you walk out here and you see this entire strip mall, we own every square foot of it. Every bit of it. And I'm not the landlord. You. You are. You are. One day I won't be here, and you will remain, and you are the landlord. So, the sermon this morning, I feel like, speaks directly to those that are in control of their own power. We are free to reimagine the way we landlord. Is that not good news for the poor? 
Is that not good news for the small business owner that wants to do something good in the local economy of Lee Summit to somehow provide for the lack of diversity in the suburbs? Is that not good news? And you don't have to wait around for a good landlord to give grace to a tenant who is struggling. You can just give grace because you are the landlord. It's more than just souls going to heaven. I believe the good news of God's politics has broken into this world and we can live differently now. So we're no longer, I got one paragraph and I'm stretching this out forever. We're no longer ruled by the finite demands of making a profit. I want to tell you a secret and you cannot tell anyone else, okay? We're debt-free on this property. So that means two things. We're debt-free and we're not we're non-for-profit. So we don't have to charge an arm and a leg because we're using this property to propel our own wealth. Praise be to God, right? That's an option on the temptation of mountain politics. To go ahead and We'll get as wealthy as we can, and then we'll build a church as big as we can, and then we'll win the world by being the big church on the corner. We've kind of denied that option, just like I believe Jesus did. By saying, no, what we can use that profit for, so we can use that profit to help redeem the very physical place in which people are driving into every day. You ever notice how busy this place is? with every pavement that gets repaired, with every light that gets replaced, with each piece of siding that gets painted, you know we're telling a story of redemption, right? When, this, when no one else around here would redeem a fall-in-the-place shopping center, we came around and we said, I think I see beauty in this. God said, actually, new beginnings. I see beauty in this. Do something about this. We are free to dream. As people who belong to the fullness of God's eternal promises. So, simple question. How does God want his kingdom to look like at Chipman Commons? And that's not my responsibility. That's our responsibility. So this morning, I want to give you one more challenge. You're free to love others. You're free to love your neighbor. You're free to love me. Some of you don't love me very much. You're free to love me. You're free to love one another. As people who belong to the fullness of God's eternal promises. So yes, in your marriages, in your relationships, in your friendships, at home. And yes, as landlords of New Beginnings Church, we need to ask ourselves a serious question. How does God want us to live in the politics of the day? How does God want us to live in the culture of the day? I have one brief answer, and then God can fill in all the blanks. He wants to, us to live as his son, Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and lowered himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, becoming obedient to all the plans and promises of God, freely giving himself to all. That's the start. Then God can tell us how that looks particularly here. Jesus, we are grateful. Lord, we are grateful for the example in which you set 
that you relied on faith and trust more than your own power. Jesus, I pray that we too in this time will be completely active, very involved, super engaged, but giving your love away. Jesus, send us your vision, your words, your commands, your promises. Fill our heart and our mind to live like you in this place and in our homes. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? I think it would be good for us to sing together.